Hey everybody and welcome to episode 43 of Motion Picture Pals. Today we're playing with They Worm talking about Dune. I am Cam Call. Joining me is Rebecca Markley. Hello. Caleb Warwick. Yo. Producer Travis Lean. Hello. And introducing friend of the show, Will Suit, who you might remember from Star Wars Rewatch if you're an OG fan. I'm back. Hello. That's right. Will is back. Welcome back. We are glad to have you. That's right. And like I said, we're talking about Dune by Denis Villeneuve, who you might remember from Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, or Sicario. This one's starring Timothy Chalamet, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Jason Momoa, Rebecca Ferguson, and Zendaya Ismichi. So, what did we all think of the movie? We all... Well, Rebecca and I saw it just a few hours ago because we went to a goddamn 10.30 p.m. showing in IMAX, and I'm way too fucking old to ever do anything like that again. Yeah. So that's cool. That was rough. I did. I watched a YouTube video where uh, the the director showed up on The Late Show, and they discussed how to pronounce his name, and they went with Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve? Yeah, like two syllables. Oh, so there's and he not said, that That's middle. perfect. And I don't know if he was just being nice, but <laughs> oh, I, well. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess everyone can just say it how they want. Yeah. That seems fair. I right? mean, at least I didn't say Dennis Villanueva. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how I would have said it at one point. I'm pretty sure that is how I said it the first time I read it out loud. <laughs> Uh, So what did everybody, how is everyone's theater experience? And everyone see it at IMAX? Travis, you're the one who told me and Rebecca to do that. Yeah, I saw it. I saw a late IMAX opening night showing and I just thought it was so fantastic with the scale of the movie and it was so loud and bombastic. And I I, I just thought like all of the... All of the establishing shots of weird desert sci-fi tech and stuff and like shit flying through the air. And then, of course, the massive worm. It was just like everything was framed so beautifully, I thought, in IMAX. And I also felt like most of the movie was in IMAX instead of just like a few action scenes. Yeah. Is that how everyone kind of remembered it? It was like there was maybe some like traditional aspect ratio at the front, but after a certain point, it felt like it was pretty much all IMAX all the time. I feel like I saw somebody talking about how the movie felt too big for their, com- like not like their computer screen, but their like home TV. And so like uh-huh. maybe, maybe like that's kind of like what you were talking about. Um, yeah. Cause it looked just so big. Um, on the IMAX screen. Yeah, big fan, big fan. I think the sound is really what did it for me. I mean, the visuals were obviously really amazing, but I think the IMAX sound, it's like in itself made it worth it. I will say when the like pre-preview stuff started, it was really sudden and really loud and I got really scared in the theater, <laughs> but I got over that and then it was fine. But the like commercials happening to you in IMAX sound is not an experience that I can <laughs> yeah. like what for example there was this uh, horrible 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 ad about this like like robot that like you can play with like it's for like kids and it like wheels around and you can play a bunch <laughs> of games with it and it can call your mom and like talk yeah. to you right and like the voice that was doing it was like this kid's voice and it was so piercing 
it was so uncomfortable and I was like, oh my God, it is way too late for me to like hear this like horrific, like piercing child voice in my brain. Yeah, that was awful. What? It was not good. There was that in like all like newvie.com is a thing that like Regal wants you to check out. Uh Uh, And like you can, I don't know, take like James Bond trivia on there or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, so, you can play like weird like oh, AR yeah, there was video AR games, games. <laughs> <laughs> on your phone. Like what? Like, like a driving one, game for James yeah. Bond. It had like this QR code that you could like pop up and then just like drive. Yeah, I've seen that. I didn't see it this time. It was not there this time. I've seen it at regular non-IMAX. Yeah. Did you have to listen to Maria Menudos? Was she there? Was she like, hey, go to check out Nuvi or whatever? No, it was all the, it, there was like Daniel Craig was there. Lashana Lynch oh, was shit. there. Um, fucking, I'm blanking on <laughs> okay. the actress who plays Money Penny. Uh, uh-huh. Ana de Armas was there and I almost did it, but only because so she everyone from almost James did it, Bond? but it was only because she told me to. I wasn't convinced <laughs> okay. by anyone else. Um, <laughs> no, there was. And then there One was uh, there was like some Eternals. The Eternals, ones. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. fuck, the Eternals. That's right. I gotta get this off my chest real quick. So <laughs> all of the marketing stuff for the Eternals, not the trailer. The trailers, whatever. But like, there was this marketing thing that was like, "What would you do if you had to do whatever for eternity?" And so it was like, if you could only. <laughs> eat one kind of food for all of eternity what would you have and they were like oh haha and like would just say their favorite food and like your favorite flavor of ice cream and it was kind of was whatever it's the stupid but like i didn't really care but then at the end they were like what movie would you watch if you could only watch one movie for all of eternity and like Salma Hayek came up and she was like the Eternals and it's like very clearly was you know i'm saying this cuz i have to for the ad spot but then Kumail Nanjani comes on and he's like, now this is going to sound kind of corny, but I've got to say Marvel Studios, the Eternals. And I went, ooh, stinky in the movie theater. And Rebecca was like, hey, said, don't. I'm going to watch Stuber. <laughs> right. Like, what the fuck are you going to say? But it's just like, you know, don't lie to me, Kumail. And just like, yeah. just say the thing and like, get your check and leave. Don't don't pretend that you care about this. Uh yeah, anyways, so that's that was my IMAX experience. That and being surrounded by teens, because that's the only demographic that sees movies that start at 10 p.m. No, there was like this really this was there was a guy who was definitely older than me who was I was sitting next to. Oh, were you there? And was, he I like was surrounded didn't by move teens. like at all the whole time. He just like Stoic. literally just like just sat there for the two and a half hours and did not move. Was he dead? Did not drink anything. Just like so, like so, stood there and just. <laughs> wow. I, I was like, he was a corpse. Did he check that he was like his pulse? I didn't like, want to touch him. I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. What if he was dead? You don't want to touch a dead guy. Gross. Uh, I'm imagining him just nodding slowly once at the end of the movie and then standing up and walking out. Yeah. No, I didn't even one hear time his he nods. voice like at all until the very end when he turned to his friend and was like, well, that was pretty good. And I was like, wow. <laughs> he <laughs> nods like, once when he sees the worm. or responding or anything. You were just like a zombie. Wow. Now I'm imagining him like the, the worm comes on screen. He's like, and nods once. Just like, yeah. nice. <laughs> or just leaves after the worm appears. 
sees it and he's like, nice. And then leaves. Yeah. So, Caleb, you did not see it in IMAX. But and Will, do they have IMAX in South Africa? They do, but the only IMAX near me was only offering the converted 3D version. So I said, oh. I'm, I'm okay. So, yeah, I, and instead went, you went somewhere called the Labia Theater. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's like, oh, yeah, the lobby. And I just, I'm just like, <laughs> the Labia Theater. What would you, I, it's just the Labia Theater, there it plays is. more like. <laughs> Smaller scale films, and then occasionally it'll have like a couple bigger releases. And also Dune. And Dune. And And they've got Dune, James Bond, and then a bunch of like smaller releases. I guess that's kind of their niche. But I I really like it. Yeah. I'm chilling at the labia, you know, what's up? Checking out the big worms in the labia. (laughs) We're out here doing what we do. (laughs) But yeah, I didn't see it in IMAX. Oh boy. Okay. Okay. I guess, did you feel at any point that the movie was like too big for the regular? That was actually, theater? I was thinking that like this discussing, oh, it was too big for like a, like a home theater. I will say there were parts of this film where I felt like it, it was too big for that screen. I, I don't know how to describe it, but it felt like it was too big for the screen and I would have liked more screen real estate. And I feel like this would have been, yeah, IMAX would have been the best way to see this. Just. Not yeah. the converted 3D version, but yeah, I, I no. did get that feeling several times. Cool. Yeah, I, I hope that eventually they, maybe when it comes out on like Blu-ray or whatever, mm-hmm. there will be like a like an IMAX ratio home release you can get. They did that for Batman v Superman, so maybe they'll do it for Dune. Yeah, hopefully. All right. Well, I think now that we've got all the theater stuff out of the way, I, oh, I guess one last thing. Did anybody in the theater that you saw Dune in, did anyone do anything funny? So there was apparently a dead guy next to Rebecca. <laughs> but like, you know, there was nobody like nobody like farted or anything, you know. No, I there okay. weren't even any like jokes in this movie. Like there wasn't anything funny. So like uh, my uh, my memory is that my theater was dead silent and like laser focused the whole movie. Mm. Yeah, I, I will say that there was points where the person next to me like tried to laugh at something that was like not funny. Again, <laughs> terrible. Again, That's terrible. Again, with like the same like Green Knight thing that happened. Um, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like it was like just like a, a subtle thing that you would just kind of like that like you know, Jason Momoa's character would say or like do and they're just like, <laughs> I'm just like, that wasn't even fucking funny. <laughs> no, I didn't say that, but yeah, like, shut the fuck up, idiot. Yeah, I'm yeah. watching the movie like I'm waiting for the worm, but um, that well, same. I, mean, I mean, I really I really liked that. Like, I, I liked that it didn't try to do any like Hollywood laugh moments or anything. Yeah. How it yeah. was just so, so committed to immersing you in its world that like, yeah. you just didn't have any time for that. No. Well, and even like the parts that you would maybe consider like funnier than like the rest or like, you know, like just the normal conversation that felt natural, like, you know, how yeah. someone would be talking to another person and there would be like a sense of like, you know, this person knows them. So they would say something, you know, like, like Duncan Idaho said to uh, Paul, he's like, you're getting, you're getting smaller or something like that, you know, like. You know, it's kind of funny, but it's not like it's like more. Yeah, it's not like a conversation. Laugh and that's out a, loud moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like the one part, that's the one part in my theater where there were some chuckles about like the you put on some muscle. Have I? No. And it's like, yeah, it's okay. it's funny, that's but funny. it's very evidently it, it it's 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 a line, but it just shows this relationship between these two characters. And it's like, OK, 
Yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, and and it. like it's it's normal and like you don't have to laugh at that. You don't have to laugh. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I I probably did a little uh uh-huh, like one of those, but you know. Yeah. Nothing but it, yeah. nothing more than that. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad you were talking Travis about like the immersive experience cuz Rebecca and I were talking earlier today about like this movie is like really difficult to think about in that way cuz it's like it's so immersive and it's like an experience that just kind of like washes over you which I really enjoyed, but like I've had to really like dig deep in myself to like think about any specific detail, you know, to talk about for the show. Um, and it's really just from the very beginning of, uh, I mean, I think it's the sound design I found really gripping. Uh, oh man. Yeah. I will say, I think in the beginning, like the visuals and the sound are like really fucking cool. And I loved the scale of like the spaceships and everything. I didn't love the Zendaya voiceover with like the exposition. That being said, though, I literally have no fucking idea how you would establish some of this backstory without that like exposition dump a mm-hmm. little bit in the beginning. I think that's just the nature of like trying to adapt something like Dune. But I think for that reason, I found the like the very beginning, the very introduction of the film was probably my least favorite, but it's really just because of that. And I think Mm -hmm. it felt to me like, you know, when they wrote the film, they're like, we need to just get this shit out of the way so we can like get to the real stuff in the movie. And I think the, the visuals and the sound design made it, you know, really pretty enjoyable because I was just like not paying attention. Uh, And I guess I'll say like, I've read the book. So I like, I know what's going on. I know what the stakes are and who the characters are. And so I was like, yeah, I don't really care about what Zendaya is talking about, but I'm going to like look at these cool details on the spaceships and like look at the armor that these guys are wearing. But uh, yeah, I guess what was like kind of the first impression as it started? Because I I loved how atmospheric and like intense that was. I think because it was so atmospheric and so immersive, I was really okay with the voiceover. And it was just kind of... I don't know. It, it just sort of like set up the film in like a really like concise way. And it, like you were saying, it just kind of like got all of the 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 setup and the backstory out of the way. And it just kind of like let you just kind of enjoy the film. Um, but it was really cool to just like watch all of the scenes unfold while the voiceover was going on. And yeah, I don't know. That was just really cool. Um, I will say that um, the exhibition exposition part i actually did not mind at all um it's been a long time since i have read the first book like years and um i i I did not mind at all having just like a little bit of a recap especially for you know i'm sure for people who haven't read dune at all or like seen anything it's i think it was good to have at the very start just be like okay this is what's happening this is who these people are and giving all this like visual cues, like who the Harkonnen are and like all that and what's going on in the universe. And okay, movie starts. Cause like, I feel as without that, that would definitely be very, very confusing to the entirety of the film. And like, I don't like, I, while I do agree with you, like it maybe could have been done a little bit differently. I don't know, but like the way it was done, I think it was fine. It did its job and it contributed to the overall story of, that was being told and actually helped a lot because like 
again, I don't know if like they if they didn't have this, I don't know how well I would be able to follow along at all. Right. And so having this, it was just it also I felt like very much established the tone of the film too, especially with the visuals, the sound and just everything that was going on, like it instantly like, okay, this is what's happening. This is how the movie's going to be. And so that's why I did not really, actually, I didn't mind it at all. I, I liked it as a matter of fact, but I, I totally understand where you're coming from in terms of expedition and such and like, oh, like narration. And I get that. It's, it's, it's almost like a trope at this point or, but yeah, I get yeah. that. Yeah. And I mean, that being said, like, like I said, I don't really know how else you do handle something like that like at that type of a scale. Um, and I liked too, that it was, it was almost more of a character exposition for Chani. Cause like you don't really meet her or really get any time with her beyond the visions in the very end of the movie. Um, and so it was a little bit more of, I think it ends with like, you know, who will our next oppressors be right? So instead of Chani being like, the Padishah Emperor and the Lanzrad work this way, and then you also need <laughs> spice to travel faster than light. And like, by the way, this is what a mentat is. I'm like, I'm thinking of like <laughs> the would... Avatar: The Last Airbender, like the live action movie. How the whole beginning is just like Katara explaining like <laughs> what the world is and how it works. You you mentioning that, that both of you talking about you know getting a person, getting somebody up to date on what's happening in this universe, but then also providing Chani kind of, I don't know, an opportunity really to just kind of speak and kind of, there, there's something there with that character. And then that reminds me of David Lynch's Dune, which begins with <laughs> oh, yeah. a character right. from the book who's not really in the movie saying exactly, all right, on this planet, they need spice. The Spacing Guild does this, the Lanzrod this, the Emperor that, on these planets. And she's just like, it's just horrible so as soon as the narration started that instantly filled my head but this was so different because it's it's it just so different and i think it provided just the right amount of information yeah. you need to get into this it didn't go way too much into this world building stuff that isn't necessary at this point like i, th I think it was fine yeah, yeah i feel like this movie does really well i feel like in 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 like narrative and like fiction writing storytelling that kind of thing like there is oftentimes a almost like a knee jerk response to over explain things especially when you are world building because you're like i have all these details and it's like so important to like understand how things work and when in reality as like someone who is engaging in it they just like need the bare minimum like their brains can fill in the gaps like they can make assumptions and understand what's happening because like we tell stories with half of the details in our everyday life so like there doesn't need to be that kind of like big info dump necessarily um and it, of course when you're like watching a, a movie it's done in other ways as well it's not just through you know narration it's also done in in um, establishing shots and 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 things that you see depicted on screen and in like character Showing conversations yeah yeah definitely but i really liked that they almost like went they they like didn't provide you with any kind of information about like who things were or like what they were and i like i can't remember anybody's fucking <laughs> name like i just was unable to remember anybody's name who they belonged to what house they were um i guess i just remembered the freemans um but then i don't know i it was still fucking great anyway 
Let's just be glad that Hideo Kojima did not direct this film because, <laughs> oh man, we would know everything. Hideo Kojima's. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I'll say I've never read the books, but I did know sort of the basic premise, and I felt that it had just the exact right amount of exposition for me to be able to follow along and comprehend like 100% of the movie. I felt like I was paying attention. It's definitely not a turn your brain off movie. And if you yeah. are not focused, laser focused on the movie, you will probably be confused. Um, but, you know, I like I love sci-fi. I love Denis Villeneuve. I was there to see Dune and I was paying attention. And I thought that the the amount of exposition that they put in the movie at the beginning was the correct amount. Um, I thought it also made sense within context. Like there's a few points where you see Paul, um, he's getting ready to go to Arrakis. And so he's like listening to Wikipedia entries about like, <laughs> what, what the people on Arrakis do. And it's like, you know, from one point of view, it's kind of a little bit on the nose exposition, but at the same time, it's like, well, this is what he's do he, like. He's, he's getting ready to go there. Like right. this makes sense within the context and it helps the audience understand some things and it plants some seeds that pay off later so i felt that that was done really well yeah cool. and, and it also I mean, it made for like a really cool kind of i don't know just like cool shit with like the light of the hologram mm -hmm. where he was like standing in the in like the bushes like that was just so beautiful oh yeah when the hunter seeker comes to get him yeah that was really cool um i i'm curious to see like because there was we talked about this a little tiny tiny bit before the podcast cam but um like the non-explanation for like mentats and like computers and yeah such. i was just about to ask about that because it, it sounds like i mean at least rebecca and travis you like were, it, you weren't bothered by the fact that you didn't know like who the mentats are and like Doc no well, i don't even know what that is that the guy who like his eyes went back yeah. in his head for a minute yeah right. okay See, I mean, that's, that that's was pretty thing. well telegraphed to me like yeah, I, they didn't need to tell me what a mentat was and that just that one quick visual i basically understood what that guy was doing cool okay and like the i guess and like i guess did you understand like stuff like who the fuck are the sardaukar and like what are they doing? i don't even know what that is okay <laughs> but like obviously it didn't affect your enjoyment of the movie okay i'm that was mostly curious because like obviously people are liking this it's been reviewed really well and stuff so and then you know dune is popular but not that popular so yeah you know, i have to assume most of the audience is kind of in your shoes where they're like generally aware of like this thing existing but not necessarily of a lot of the world building so okay yeah i was i was just more curious than anything because i like i was excited to see how were they gonna portray this how is how are they gonna show that um and i was you know in my head i was like oh that's one of the mentats like ooh, look at that it's the sardaukar <laughs> planet but like you know maybe maybe it was meant more for like the people who read the books that like they knew instantly and then like later they'll like explain it like it does it really overall does not matter because what like is you, what is the sardaukar so you know when there's that scene on the planet is like seleucus secundus i want to say um and they're like all lined up and they're like bright white armor and there's a guy doing like industrial techno mongolian throat singing that's the that's the harkonnen planet right no so the harkonnens went there to get the sardaukar uh, who are like the imperial like special forces basically that like oh, okay. help so them like attack the empire's forces yeah basically they're like, and they, like storm troopers. Oh, okay. yeah they're like that but they're like specifically they belong to the emperor and not like any of the great 
houses or whatever. No, I just thought that was the Harkonnen like homeworld, and they were getting their Harkonnen forces together to go take back Arrakis. Yeah, right. And I mean, it's it's not, but eh, you know, it kind of doesn't okay. matter. And like, also, I mean, throughout the movie, there they talk about like, oh, the Sardaukar were there, so the Emperor, you know, chose sides. And- Oh, I'm I'm understanding a little bit. So because there were those special troops in the yeah, that's that's what they would kind of fly and stuff. Okay, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, got it. Cool. I definitely thought that the Sardukar were just like a whole other family. Like they were a whole other house that was just like throwing in there. I guess. Yeah. Well, the cool part about Dune lore is they actually are, but you know. There's like oh, cool. <laughs> millions of layers to get into with like all this shit that like actually is going on with the world building, which like that. And I think that's, you know, getting back to my point earlier about like why this is such a difficult film to adapt is because there's so much world building. And in the book, especially, right, you're just in people's heads and you can talk about this stuff and you can really like lay down what the stakes are and the kind of like the parameters within which this conflict is taking place. And so I was just really curious. I was like, how the hell are you even going to handle that? And basically the answer is you don't. You just make a fucking good movie that like tells you what you need to know and you like don't keep the other shit. Uh, And I was really, um, I guess I was just very happily surprised at how well that worked out because I was kind of like looking over and like stealing glances over at Rebecca when stuff that I figured would be confusing was happening like had you not had the context of the book i was like "Ooh, is rebecca making a huh kind of a face but she wasn't she's just you're just watching her the whole movie like (laughs) it's just yeah leaned in real close yeah all right let's i guess get into the the plot of the movie i guess uh i thought the all the stuff on caladan was a lot of fun i think they actually spent a lot more time on Caladan in the movie than they really do in the books, at least from what I can remember. Travis, your cat. Just get that thing out of here. Leave me alone. Um, oh, man. Lost my train of thought. Uh, Caladan, right. I thought all this stuff mm. on Caladan I thought was really, was really enjoyable. Um, I liked the very blue color palette and like how foregrounded all this stuff with water was on there and i yeah i thought that feeling of foreboding before they actually get to arrakis i thought was handled really well um Mm -hmm. but yeah for the most part i mean i was i was just kind of like taking in the scale of like the landscapes and especially i loved all the interiors and the palaces i thought the one both on caladan and the the palace in on Arrakis that they go to were really beautiful. And I like just the- everything in the movie though, was just like, like that it seemed cause you have like all of these different like, um, landscapes, like with Kaladin and then you have Arrakis like completely, um, visually contrasting, but like just every single part and like set piece and like scene in this movie just looks so gorgeous. Like, like you just, you almost like want to go there like like Kaladin it's just like looks so like like a big forest with like lots of water and it's just like literally breathtaking like I was looking at this film just like in awe it seemed like the entire time just like wow like the scale of how everything looked and like the design is of everything and um it was just so like cool to look at and experience almost yeah I think to- Denny Villeneuve's movies all look really, really good 
in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really absolutely. And yeah, I really liked like his vision for bringing all this stuff to life. I think overall the uh, like the scale of the spaceships, especially like when the <clears throat> when you see like the the guild freighter out like in space and you see the little like imperial spaceship like fly out of it and land on Caladan. Uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like an arrival when you see those spaceships. I don't, yeah. People you've seen arrival. Love that Some movie. of us have. Anyway. Love that movie. Mm-mm. Yeah. I love arrival. Yeah. I haven't seen it. It was like that, but like, what if we were just going to focus only on this? Like, what if that was like more the point of the movie? Um, I thought that was great. The fucking costumes too, just from, from the jump, like the instant, all the Imperial people start walking out. I thought those were so cool as shit. I want to like definitely do some more reading about the costuming on this movie because it's like, I mean, it's it's not very subtle, but it's really fucking cool. Um, and I thought the the Bene Gesserit costumes or uniforms especially were really like oh, yeah. scary and cool. I thought, it, yeah, that was probably one of my favorite bits of like non-exposition exposition because like, the Bene Gesserit are like this, like, what if the CIA were witches, kind of. Mm-hmm. And like, I gotta say, their fucking costumes kind of conveyed that. It's like this evil nun who, like, does political yeah. manipulation. <laughs> um, and then so I it reminds cool. me of like, a, almost like a period piece. It's like medieval costuming. And it's like, it's a very medieval world, despite like, you know, being science fiction. Mm hmm. Um, because I guess, like, I mean, I don't know if this is supposed to be the Milky Way galaxy or whatever, but it's, like, so it far is. future that, it like, it really doesn't matter. It's just, like, you know, things have fallen apart and things are very, very old and medieval-esque. Yeah, and, like, you got to use swords, but it's because of these, like, shields that everyone has. Yeah, I, and I, people I, are still doing, like, traditional <laughs> royal bullshit, dressing up fancy, and they have yeah. all these uh, ceremonial <laughs> tasks and like things that they have to do when people meet to give instructions or whatever yeah one side note that i left for myself um for the entire movie i don't know why i kept thinking about it but it seemed like the shields that the people had were just worthless like it seems like they didn't do anything at all because like Everyone just like loses it instantly or like there's something that shoots through it. I didn't understand, <laughs> but yeah. it just seemed like they were worthless. And well, like they, because s- they have shields, there's no like gun warfare, basically. Like if those didn't exist, I assume people would have just been gunning each other down. But because people have shields, everyone has to like go do melee combat again. <laughs> yeah. I guess. But I just, I just like that was like the one thing I just like didn't understand how it worked. Like I, maybe like the swords are the only things you could penetrate, but like then someone got shot with something and then like, I think uh, it I is and then you of- see the ships that were like mm. being fine by getting shot at with the same shields. And I was like, huh, but, but, but it's not important. You, like, yeah, I, I think there's that thing though. Like, yeah. This shield, like Travis has said, it has negated like gun i don't know gun warfare as we know it so then there's all mm-hmm. these martial arts styles that are about like getting in really close so then and doing flips you can like move you can move like a little slower so, like there's that a lot of that speed and then they get slow to like cut through a shield or there's like specific weapons that can get through it during the attack you see those bombs from orbit that like, those bombs like, were like, so fucking cool oh my they, god they hit yeah, that shield but then they like they badass. like rotate and slow themselves down to get through it and it was just like yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I will like say the, like the dart that they shoot at people yeah. and then it just like kind of slowly pushes through your shield. So it's like you have a second to, to react to it that you right. wouldn't have had had you not had that. I, I yeah. guess that is true, but I, I don't know. There was just something funny about it that I kept thinking about. But no. I will say with that being said, like they did look really cool. Like with oh, yeah, everything happening and you see like all of the people with the shields on and like where you could see like when they die because like their shield like goes off and stuff. I like, like that it turns red too. Just yeah, that, that was so cool. I, I will like say <laughs> the shields play like a really interesting role in the book because like because you have to move slowly to get through the shield, like the fights in the book are very like strategic. And it's like every mm. time somebody gets in a sword fight, it feels more like a game of chess or something. Um, and I think that was like that's something that I think I don't even know how the fuck you would begin to depict something like that visually. But yeah, it, it is kind of funny the shields being like, well, I guess you have it, but like, I don't know. Although it was kind of fun when Paul didn't have his shield when the the evil mosquito was going to come poison him. Yeah, well, that was a uh, that was pretty tense. I was like, oh fuck. Yeah, I really liked that scene. It was spooky. It was like, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like very. It was like sinister. Um. It it was like what if the uh, it reminded me it reminded me of the Padme assassination. I was scene just about to the say stupid that. slugs. Like what if what if you tried to assassinate Padme more efficiently? <laughs> yeah, with a bug that was like remotely controlled and like actually yeah. could conceivably complete this thing that you wanted it to do. Um. Yeah. So I mean, I guess. You can talk about how do people feel about like the acting in this movie? I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was very good, but it's like yet another of these things. And, like, I guess sorry to keep being the guy, but like, well, I actually in the book, but like, I mean, I think again, the book is just written in a way that like you can't directly adapt it. It would be a really fucking boring, shitty movie if you did try to like stay really true to the text. But yeah, I guess I just want to hear opinions on like impressions on on the way characters were portrayed um i would say like i mean this is a star-studded cast overall like i kind of expect great acting from it anyways like you know and so like i thought everyone did a great job but one standout for me was uh stellan skarsgård mm. as um what's his face baron harkonnen yeah baron harkonnen that dude <laughs> Every time he was on on screen, every time he was like talking anything, it was just so like unsettling and like sinister and just like creepy. And I loved it. Like I thought he just did an incredible job at just like how like, just, I don't know, just unsettling. I felt whenever he was talking to literally anybody in the film and that that was probably the standout for me if I would say there was a standout. But. Like overall, the acting I thought was really great in in the film. But again, like I said, kind of expect it when you have a cast of this like a tier like acting celebrity. Yeah, and I yeah, I will. I think that was really a big part of the <clears throat> at least the initial marketing for this movie was like, ooh, Timothy Chalamet is gonna be Paul Atreides, and like, oh, but Oscar Isaac and Jason Momoa is in it, and like, just it was more and more like huge names. And I was like, even like minor characters were like very like famous, beloved actors. And I was like, damn, this movie really is just stacked. Uh, and I'm yeah, I'm glad that 
everybody it felt like the movie made use of everybody in a way that was like playing up their skills as an actor and like giving them enough screen time to really shine and like do what they need to do i've also never really seen i don't know if i've seen any movie actually with timothy chalamet i've never Um, seen any movies (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i thought he did a really good job as paul i was actually surprised i i guess i didn't really know what to expect because i I don't remember seeing him in any film anyways, but like he did a really good job and I I'm excited to see more of him as Paul, which makes me happy because, you know, he kind of is like he's the main biggest. Yeah. So I was a big fan of him. I was also a big fan of Rebecca Ferguson Mm -hmm. as I forget the name of the mother. Lady Jessica. Jessica. Mm -hmm. Lady Jessica. And I was a big fan of Oscar Isaac's uh, Duke Leto, I think. Mm -hmm. Leto. Jared Leto. I don't know. did a really good job of like i could very clearly understand like both their motivations and like they were all characters who were like you know very powerful in some way either like very smart or or very well uh like intelligent like paul i thought came off as someone who was like very good at adapting to things and and learning and uh and they they all had very clear like flaws too that just made them feel really multi-dimensional uh like duke leto especially you know he's this guy who he wants to be sort of like the liberal colonizer like <laughs> the good colonizer yeah, really meanwhile paul is sort of like you know he, there isn't such a thing as and he's just sort of roped into the whole thing and he's you know trying to make the most of it but it seems like he over everyone understands that like nothing good can come of this and then it you know it sure doesn't and then you've also got lady jessica who like you know she's got her own like secret witch stuff going on behind the scenes and like you know the scene where she is like introducing paul to the Voice. other witch yeah, lady the mother. <laughs> she's just like yeah Good she's scene. like so vulnerable in that scene and in other scenes she's like the one in charge like the one where she's talking to the to the housekeeper candidate everyone just comes across so well i think it was all very easy to like digest and understand which is you know it's pretty impressive for like how complex the writing is and be for 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 this film to be able to uh you know parse all of that information to you with just like visuals basically i don't know it was just really cool they really leaned into like really like classic archetypes, I feel like, and really let them kind of shine in this film with like you were saying with uh, Leto Atridides, is that how you say it? Being again, like oh, sort of like wants to be like the benevolent uh, colonizer. And you have like Lady Jessica, who is, you know, much more of like a maternal role, but she still kicks ass in some ways and also is like kind of at the mercy of the forces that she kind of runs with. And then you have, you know, like Timothy Chalamet is like as as like this kind of weird chosen one, but not really chosen one more, just kind of like a a product of 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 history, it seems like. Which a product of was imperial a really cool meddling, way. even. Yeah. It, mm. And I don't know. That was just I don't know. I really, really liked how all of the characters not were they weren't like predictable, but like they just felt really like fleshed out and like 
believe believable i don't know mm-hmm. it's sci-fi i don't know if anything is really believable but well you know it's it's fair to say that though because like you're you're inside of a a new world right like a fake world yeah and you want to believe these characters exist in this world and so if they're being believable then like that's good that's what you want because like they exist within the laws of the world that they created or that that we're you know what i mean so it's like that's fine that's it's okay to say that and yeah i exact same thing here it's like they exist in this world and everything is very consistent with everything going on like how like all the politics interact with each other and everything and i feel like that's especially like where it is really interesting to see because like everything feels natural and everything feels like okay like tense like what the hell is going on why is the harkonnen like attacking um house atreides on this planet and like oh man this is like a lot of political turmoil and like it's it's very cool and like just to kind of hone in on what you were saying of like believability because i feel like that is very important to a lot of the things that i like and so um i 100 agree on that believability part how did people feel about josh brolin as gurney halleck in his like warrior poet shtick I'm going to be honest. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, no, I was go just, ahead. I, I didn't get much from, I feel like, I don't know. There was no real, I, I didn't find anything stand out about him as Gurney Halleck. I was just like, all right. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, I actually, everything I least for to me, say about him. Yeah. Everything I think about his character for me worked except the poetry, which is, you know, kind of his like, I don't know. He's kind of this bard like figure. In, yeah. In the House of Atreides, I guess, but like also a military guy. And I don't remember exactly like what everyone's titles are or anything, but I thought Josh Brolin's, <clears throat> I thought his look was really good. He's like a believable, like gruff military guy. I thought his interactions with Duke Leto and Paul were good, but it was just like the poetry quips were just kind of, they kind of all fell flat for me. But I don't feel like I remember this character I don't, much I, at all. I don't remember him doing poetry, if I'm being honest. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize he was supposed to be a poet. Yeah, well, there you go. I think that's maybe <laughs> probably a sign that it didn't work all that well. Uh, the scene that I remember most with him was uh, the one where he sort of makes the joke about uh, Duncan Idaho going native. I was I thought that was a good character moment and like showed how this guy thinks mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah maybe maybe they had to like change him up a bit to make like the the film make thematically more sense i don't know probably like, maybe it was just a character choice or like a choice from yeah all director. i remember is the the um smile gurney at the, when the imperial delegation arrives and then when he's yeah. like yelling at paul during training and he's like they're brutal <laughs> he just mm-hmm. really gets into that that's it that's all i yeah. And I mean, uh, you only have so many, you only have so much time in a movie like this. Granted, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of time in this movie, but like there's so many characters that I guess there's really only so much you could do with every little, you know, member of like the, the Atreides house that you've got to, I don't know, like of all the things to depict, I don't know how you depict this guy as like a poet. So. Just one of those things, I guess. It's like, I think they did what they could with what they were given. And I guess speaking of characters as well, I thought Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho was real good. Big fan of that. Yeah. Um, 
he and he was a lot more like lighthearted than I kind of envisioned Duncan Idaho being like, I think everybody, especially in the books is like, they tend to be really like grim and stoic and like so much of the book happens inside people's heads that Mm -hmm. like, I thought the acting choices to externalize that stuff was pretty interesting. And then also I think like the conscious decision, for example, you know, to make Duncan Idaho a little bit more of like this, you know, daredevil pilot type of a guy uh and even to make lady jessica seem like a little bit more like emotionally uh vulnerable especially like in that scene with the revered mother it's like i thought that was really fascinating but again i think the movie would have been really weird if everyone was just like grim and in their own heads and like grimacing (laughs) right whatever paul stone move your hand and just like not emoting But yeah, I I really like that dynamic that they they made. I don't know. I feel like Jason Momoa as a person, like it really like is just him in a way too. Like, yeah, very enough, very and much so, Aquaman in Dune. Oh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know if I'd say, that, but like um yeah, because like you, <laughs> you know, it's just very like lighthearted in like most of the scenes that he's with, and he's like you you know he's very much like a like a cool guy in the in the movie to hang out with and like he's you know he's very well liked amongst a lot of the people um and so like it's it's nice seeing that dynamic you know you go from having um gurney who's being this like basically just like this gruff military guy in the film i wouldn't even say like military poet guy at this point um and then you go to like uh, you know duncan idaho who's like Hey, and then you have those classic <laughs> Jason Momoa hugs and pats and stuff. Like, yeah, dude, I see, I in that one scene, he pats he pats Paul like four separate times, and there's a very loud pronounced sound effect. <laughs> I, yeah, I noticed that too. Makes contact. It's like smack. I, I feel like I feel like it's not even like exaggerated in the sound. It's probably just no. I think that's just how the audio picked up Jason Momoa just slapping, slapping the shit out of Jason Momoa. Would, the, would this movie have been better if Jason Momoa went start a car? Woo! <laughs> that would that have would that have tied it all together? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Uh, I think to also this is the first time I can think of that I've seen Jason Momoa clean shaven. Like I'm sure pictures exist or something. I don't know that I ever saw them. Wait, I'm confused. He had a beard at the start of the in movie, the beginning, right? and then so he okay. okay so it's okay, when okay, he gets back crazy. from he gets back from like scouting <laughs> the Fremen, and he has a beard then, and then later in the barracks when they're talking, he's shaving yeah, I, and he's like taking a shower. I didn't notice any of this. I, I literally, I for a minute I was really confused. I was like, Why is who this the hell is that so guy? <laughs> yeah. Is this his brother? Like, I, I, is Duncan Wyoming? This <laughs> <laughs> is a different last name for no reason. Arrakis runs up. That was a good one. But yeah, I, uh, I, it was just really funny because visually I just like had a rough time because like, I know that's Jason Momoa. I was like, what? There's something different about him. And that confirms it. So uh, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Uh, that was really good. Yeah. So we've talked about the sound design throughout. Uh, but I want to talk Ooh. specifically about the music, too. I, 
I really wanted to talk specifically about that and the music. Uh, I don't know if we should dedicate okay. a lot of the time. That's what I just it, said we're going to do. What are you doing? I know, I know, I know. But like, <laughs> I, I thought we kind of like talked a little bit about it at the start and that's it. But like, <laughs> I would really like to say like this movie, like the sound design and the music was just like, oh man, I... I'm sorry. I got I got really excited about it. Okay, I got I get no, really excited great. when it comes to music and sound design. Cam was like, "We're going to talk about music and sound." And you're like, oh, no, wait, no, I no. really want to talk about the music. No, it was it wasn't even that. Cam said, "All right, we've talked about it all throughout, but I want to talk about music and sound design." Well, I want to talk about music and sound design. We talked about it a bit ago. It's like, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I just got excited. No, it's um, okay. No, it's uh, it's great. Oh but man, yeah, I'm like, dying. Yes. Um. God damn, dude. Like the Hans Zimmer soundtrack, like dude has already made bangers in the past. Like he's a great film scorer, but like I think this is easily his best film personally. Like everything from my that what I've heard of him, I've already been a big fan of him, but just I was just enthralled. Like I was so excited throughout the entire film. Every time I heard anything from the music to like the score, like the entire like I don't know if it was just the audio in my my theater i mean i'm sure you guys had great audio um in imax but like you can just feel the ships all of the sounds oh, yeah. and, like just the end like the engines like you feel like the water rippling below or the sand um sometimes the water on like the other planet <laughs> and it was just like so cool the sci-fi like sound effects and like the design and like the level of detail it felt like was just so enhancing to what you were seeing with the already like incredibly beautiful shots and visuals that you had. It was just like <laughs> an orgasmic experience to see all of that, like Gross. for lack of a better term. Ew. And like, I, I just loved that, like, like the chanting in the music of like, uh, like when they were on Ar Arrakis and like, um, just those like very like primitive sounding like drum beats that were playing like throughout the entirety of the film. It was just remarkable. Like I, it's been a long time since I've been this excited about a film score. And obviously from when the topic brought up happened, <laughs> you can tell. Yeah, we can tell. We can tell how much you um, enjoyed it. How much you, how badly yes, you wanted I, to talk about it. Yeah. Just wanted to throw that out there. So yeah, yeah, no, ab absolutely. I mean, I think that's like the classic Dunny Villeneuve movie uh, sound is like mm -hmm. something more or less innocuous is happening, but there's like really creepy choral sounds going on in the background. Um, I thought that this movie, in like a really fun way, evoked like 2001 in like the shots of space with like the really like crazy discordant choir going on. Um, but then overall, just, I don't know, all of the, like all the singing that would like the singers just going totally fucking ham on all of the, the movie score and the soundtrack was a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the bass in the IMAX with all the spaceships especially was really fucking fun. Um, yeah, I've seen a couple movies in IMAX that just felt like this didn't really need to be done this way, but this was not one of them. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think I would have to agree that this is probably one of my favorite Hans Zimmer scores. It doesn't feel quite as gimmicky, I think. That's like, I think really my only issue with Hans Zimmer is like a lot of his stuff can feel like it's relying on, you know, one specific aspect. Like Inception comes to mind with like the big horns blaring which was like cool at the time, but then I think it got old kind of fast. And like, I really like the organs in Interstellar, but it's also like, okay, this is this is just like the one thing for the movie. Whereas like this, I thought felt a little more balanced. Like this is something I could see like putting on for like spooky atmosphere or something. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I could see this being used later. Uh, well, and- it really just complemented the atmosphere as the movie was going. Like you mm-hmm. it had like a certain like vibe and it gave to the atmosphere and like the very start of the film and like on the different planets they're on, then it changes to the Arrakis and it had almost like this like native sound and it was just like beautiful and just like, it was just so cool. Like it, it felt like it was a part of that, like of Arrakis almost like from ranging from like the sound to like the actual music itself. Like it was so cool. Like I can't emphasize that enough. Like I, I want to watch it again just for the sound design in itself, but I enjoyed everything of the movie. So I, yeah, super cool. Watch it at home and listen to it through my laptop speakers. <laughs> no, watch it at home with, with subtitles. So you can understand what people are saying. I was, yeah, yeah, I was gonna, that was going to be, <laughs> I think my cap on the sound discussion was like, there were so many times that I was just like, what? Like, what? What did you say? Like, are you speaking like a made up <laughs> Dune language or was this like English that I just failed to hear? And I mean, part of that in, you know, in fairness to the movies, like I'm just really bad at that. Generally, like this happens to me in real life where I'm just like, oh, for sure. And I like I didn't process a single word someone has said to me. But like, I think sprinkling in the names and then like all of the like pseudo Arabic that happens in Dune as well. I did feel like I was left behind a little bit in the dialogue, but I mostly thought that was funny more than anything. I was just laughing at myself instead of being like angry with the movie. Mm. I can think when they arrive on Arrakis and they they run out to meet um, Thufir Howitt is there. Yeah, right. In my theater, I, all I was able to hear was, oh, Howitt. And I'm like, right, <laughs> I know who that is. Yeah, but I can exactly. Only the last part. And then there were... That's actually the scene when, um, I had in mind when I was talking about this. Yeah, like I, that I exact didn't one. understand what anyone was saying except for Thufir Howitt. Oh, I'm like, all right, you're talking about Thufir Howitt, but what's happening? Right. <laughs> yeah, I, that and I think a lot of the Fremen names too. Like the guy that Paul mm. kills at the end, like it really sounded to me like his name was Travis for like a little bit. And I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's it, but maybe. <laughs> Stilgar, Channing, and Travis. Yeah, I don't know. I have a question about character because I feel like in the beginning, I don't know if like they were just giving like if if Jason Momoa or it, what's his name, the guy who was the poet who wasn't a poet, yeah. Josh Gurney. Gurney. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like. They sort of made it out. They they sort of made. Sorry, I was just thinking about describing someone as a poet, but not really. <laughs> really mean. Um, That's funny. But 
Well, like, like Paul was not, I guess my understanding was that Paul was like kind of okay at fighting, right? Mm-hmm. And then. No, he was pretty good. No, he's like, yeah, he is good. He's good at fighting. He is good. Okay. Cause I guess my understanding was like, but maybe when like, when the, what's his name? Gurney comes uh-huh. in and he's like, oh, you're not like, I feel like he got his ass kicked several times I by think, Gurney. Yeah. I mean, he did. I think the but idea Gurney is, is Gurney's really yeah, good. Yeah. Gurney and Duncan are supposed to be these like almost legendary military figures in the, in the, oh. and I mean, that even comes up when they're talking, when they're, uh, the Sardaukar being recruited by the Harkonnens. Cause they're like, the Sardaukar are like, well, why do you need us? And then the Harkonnen guys like, oh, the Atreides legions are like some of the finest in the Imperium because they were trained by Gurney Halleck in Duncan, Idaho. Oh, so hmm. this is also one of the reasons I really liked Paul, like the writing of Paul as a character, um, like adding to that complexity, like the, you are introduced to him and you are shown that he's like he has sort of like an like a like a teenager attitude where he's like, I don't want to do this but then he's also really good at fighting and i was glad it wasn't something more one-dimensional like mm-hmm. you know maybe uh like a like a tropey teenager who is like being forced to fight because he, you know he's gonna have to go do that but he's like i don't wanna or even like like sort of like a fighting origin story like Arya stark like you know wants <laughs> to fight but i'm glad we just like skipped past all that and like we had an established character who you know he is a believable teenager but he is also sort of like been through a lot of training already yeah you know just a quick way to skip past some tropey stuff that didn't need to be there for sure and i mean speaking of game of thrones like i don't know why i'm thinking about fucking game of thrones so much i guess yeah if you've (laughs) listened to the the episode we just recorded about no time to die i was talking about game of thrones there and in real time (laughs) it's only two days after that but I guess speaking of Game of Thrones with like Arya Stark and her fighting origin story, I kind of was thinking about like Jon Snow's origin and how it's like, yeah, motherfucker, like you grew up in a castle being trained by a master at arms. Like, of course, you're better at fighting than all these like mm-hmm. criminals out on the wall. And that's kind of how I felt about Paul is like, yeah, you were trained by like some of the best fighters in the universe or whatever. So like you're going to actually be quite good at knife fighting, it turns out. Especially like showing on the very last scene where um, on that fight with Paul, like, you know, um, his mom was like, he's never killed anyone. But like, he's obviously still good at fighting because he like put him in a uh, situation of death like three times in a row. And so then he's finally like, all right, then does it. And so like, I thought that was like added like even more depth because like technically like this is his first kill too. Yeah. But he he's like he's really good at fighting. So like obviously he was hesitant like three times. But yeah, I thought that was um, a really good way to um, emphasize what you were saying, Travis. And even though he's never killed somebody, have it like be effective in a cool way. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to take a quick break? I think so. Yeah. And we're back. And before we get back into it, this is me reminding you once again to check out our Substack. You can do that via our links at motionpicturepals.com as well as links to our social media. And hey, the Substack is cool because one, it'll get you 
new episodes delivered directly to your email, but two, we just started a newsletter. It's pretty good. I read it the other day and really enjoyed it. Uh, we talk about recommendations for media that aren't necessarily movies, but there will probably be also movies that we don't cover on the show. Uh, I'm going to talk about some sci-fi books in the next one. Rebecca shared this really interesting article about like what the internet does to how we interact with art. There's all kinds of neat stuff, and you can get a peek behind the curtain into stuff that we're into that aren't movies, and it's going to come out on off weeks when we are not releasing episodes. So check it out for more content. It's all free for your listening and reading enjoyment. Uh, oh, Travis disappeared. Uh-oh. We're going to wait for them to get back. OK. And now that Travis is back, we're going to get back. I forgot to close episode. my door. Oh. The AC came on. That's really okay. loud. I was literally like, about to be like, and now let's talk about this other thing. And then I saw you take your headphones off and walk away. <laughs> uh, OK, we finally got to see the worms, I guess, like. I thought the payoff for all the worm stuff was really cool. I loved that, like the first couple times we see them. They're just like inside the desert and they're just kind of like letting things fall down into, I guess, the worm mouth. Uh, but then at the very. They hold. Yeah, right. A lot of buttholes <laughs> in this movie between the worms and the guild freighters. It's a lot of butthole imagery. Anyways, we don't need to talk about it too much. Um, I thought the payoff, though, of the scene where like the worm comes up out of the sand and like stares down at Paul and Jessica was like really fucking cool. Like one of those, one of those moments of just like, holy fuck. And also um, another moment that I was really glad I saw it in IMAX. Cause like the scale of it was so cool. And I mean, I just thinking about like a 400 meter long worm this is like so incomprehensible, but I thought the way that it kind of, came alive in this movie was like really amazing uh well we were talking about like um i mean like in between like favorite scenes and stuff and i think i kind of captivated what i really a scene at least i really 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 enjoyed pertaining to the worms um it was the first scene where there's that um what was it the, uh, the spice, the harvester? spice harvester or mm -hmm. whatever yeah and just like it was like showing like a tour of like, you know, like what they do and like um, when they're ready to like be picked up and like something went wrong with the harvester and how it's like almost normal for this to happen. And like how he's like, why is everyone so calm? It's like, you know, we do this all the time. Like um, and just how like tense everyone seeing this for the first time was and how fucking like like just anxiety driven it was like. You just see and feel like in the theater, you feel it, too, which was really cool oh, yeah. about it. Like you're just like, OK, like this thing, it's like, OK, like 40 kilometers outwards. And like you got to um, start evacuating everyone off of this. Um, and so like you just feel this thing like approaching like it's inevitable. And it's just like so like just cool. I something to that scale and something to that like um I don't know, creativity, I guess, uh, was just really cool to see as like a thing that exists within that world and how like it could be used as a benefit and it could also be used as just like a thing that exists natively to this planet and how they have to kind of live with it. And it was just, I thought it was so cool, like just showing how impactful these things are 
in the environment that they're a part of. Yeah. They were really gripping, um, especially with all of the, like, the big sound that accompanied them. Like, when, you know, like, they're starting to, like, scan to look for the worms and they're, like, trying to see, like, the dust flumes that come up. Um, the sand kind of coming up and um, just, like, feel... Just like the the palpable tension that the the that the snake not the snake the worms that the worms create <laughs> they worm they worm and <laughs> yeah and oh that was so that was so intense like I was absolutely like so so tense and so afraid I mean I I figured things would be fine maybe somebody would die but I was so 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 afraid and so stressed out. Every yeah. single time well, the worms like, came on, I was, it was like, also kind of oh, cool God, oh, how no. it like moved because it was almost like it was in like water, like the way it maneuvered in the sand mm-hmm. and stuff, just how like easily it was able to get in and out of. And it was just kind of like jarring to see the the sand harvester get like eaten by it because you just see like the like the sand caving in almost like some like thing like the water was coming out, but it was in sand. And so it was really cool to see like just that visually and how and like that's the first time you really get to see like its mouth anyways and so you get to see the scale of like okay that thing is fucking gigantic like holy shit it just ate the harvester yeah and so well and i like because you get a lot of scenes of like how small a human is compared to the harvester and then you see how small the harvester is compared to the worm i thought that was a really nice uh way of depicting how fucking big they are before you, you know, you actually mm. get to see it up out of the sand. And I think generally, I really love that harvester scene because um, I think I love the tension because that's really I, I remember really enjoying that scene. You know, the first time I read the book being like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? And it's like a cool character moment for Duke Leto and everything. But uh, I loved in the movie how like it depicted like the effect that the spice had on Paul like the weird Mm -hmm. vision he had and the tension. And I don't even remember if this happens in the book of like him being like incapacitated almost by the effects of the spice and like having these visions when he needs to be like getting his ass back to the, the dragonfly thing. Just the, and I, I love the sound, especially during those visions of like all those like creepy voices. And it sounds almost like the Bene Gesserit voice, but it's like slightly different. And like he's getting the visions of like his own death and fighting in the desert and everything. Uh, and, you know, Gurney having to run and save him. Just like every part of that scene worked super well for me. Probably like one of my favorites mm-hmm. in the movie. And I also loved the way that like the little like glittery copper flecks that you can see that kind of depict the spice like blowing through the air. Uh, I don't know. All, I thought yeah. all of that was like, yeah, very looked very good. And was like a really fun, tense experience. You know, were there any like um, so there was that <laughs> I want to say worm moment just because I think that would be funny. Certified but, worm moment. <laughs> there was like three, right? There was that one. And then there was what was the second one? The second it was, one is um, well, there's a lady who is like getting ready to ride a worm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She puts yeah. The, the, the rhythm things we down. We don't get to see it happen. Because I know. she gets, she gets in the killed. Back. Yeah, which was a huge bummer. I wanted her to and like a big ride. tease. But by mm-hmm. the end of the movie, we do see someone riding a worm. I like that and then they waited. We, I, I, yeah, and I well, I like that they show Paul kind of like looking at the guy riding the worm and kind of, I don't know. It, it, it looked like he 
was getting some ideas turning in his head is all <laughs> I thought. It's yeah. like, wait a second. I was scared of this thing before, but you could ride it? Whoa. This changes everything. <laughs> Hold on now. Hold on. Just, I, I think that's such a cool concept just as a general concept, like just riding a big sandworm in the desert. But like seeing it like in this movie um, was, it was just really cool, at least for the very brief moment we had. So I'm excited to see more worm riding. <laughs> yeah, because that'll definitely be a big part of the the second one, just based on, you know, the actual events, you know, that need to happen to to bring the, the story to a close. But yeah, I have I, a quick question. Oh yeah, go ahead. Do we think that there's going to be a, a part two or a part two and three? That I don't know. I okay. would oh. imagine they're probably going to do part two and finish up Dune with just two parts, because like. Yeah, I was just wondering from anyone who had actually read the book if they felt like how many more I'm, entries you would need. Ju- judging by how much they've like left out of this first one for very good reason yeah. in, in adapting this, I feel they will do comfortably one more movie. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Because there's like, obviously, there's a lot of time spent with, you know, Paul and Jessica becoming, you know, part of the Fremen and like, be- you know, becoming a part of that society and learning about it. And then there's, you know, kind of the return to the political uh, war and stuff. And I think that's a good amount for like another, you know, long movie there. That's plenty to wrap up. Part of part of me kind of hopes. I don't know. uh, Part of me wants like two more parts, like part two and then part three as of like a three act structure almost. Mm -hmm. Because like this film felt like specifically like act one of like a three-part movie or something um so but at the same time i probably would be satisfied with just one more and then having that finish off because i feel like with what we got from this one there was enough information and enough that happened even though it was like from what i've heard a lot slower than the original like movie or yada yada um and i think yeah having a part two would be good but if there was like part two and three, I would be very okay with that because I trust Denis to do like make it like consistent with um, pacing and such. So I thought it was very funny that I, and I get why they like they left this out of the marketing and I understand why. But like the title card in the film says Dune part one. And yeah. I was surprised by that. Because I was they too. did not advertise the film as Dune mm. part one. But I'm glad that that's what shows up so that you can immediately set your expectations accordingly and also for anyone who hadn't somehow heard that it was like <laughs> the first part of the story you know that's there and i also really liked at the end zendaya turns and winks at the camera and says we're going to be making part two yeah uh, i thought that was <laughs> yeah fun. how there's a thing at the end of the credits that says paul atreides will return <laughs> <laughs> i actually stayed and there was no end credits i was kind of i was actually kind of happy about that but I think there was like some weird interview out there where Denis was like, I will never do any credit scenes. And like, <laughs> oh, I think I saw that. Yeah. I think yeah, he and I was like, honestly, like, MCU fair? and he like spit on the ground. Yes, right. <laughs> and I was he lifted yep. up. He rolled up his sleeve to show a, a Martin Scorsese tattoo. And he was like, fucking MCU. <laughs> Just like on his chest. Yeah. yeah. It's like Stan Lee with like crossed out with <laughs> a tattoo. But, <laughs> but. I mean, like, yeah, I, I'm very, there was a lot of division, at, though, with the ending, 
even though it was like you know kind of expected in a way but like i do kind of understand why people would be a little bit disappointed with how it did end oh were they um because oh yeah yeah um, i mean like there was there was a lot of people that were like what the fuck like that was that's it (laughs) oh but like for me personally like i feel like i understood that it was you know just like an act one of either two or three or two and um yeah a lot of people were kind of bothered by that and i was surprised because like i mean from everything shown it was like okay are you ready for what's gonna come and i'm like yes i am like i i'm i'm excited but then the people were like left unsatisfied because there was like you know like the biggest thing was saying there was no ending to it like it just ended it was definitely it was definitely not satisfying. Like I I absolutely yeah. get that. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like oh cool like that was a good movie. I'm really like I feel the like obviously the like the resolution. you can't watch this movie by itself. Yeah, I mean I guess we just did and it was it was like fine and chill, but it was definitely <laughs> like not like satisfying. And maybe like yeah. that's kind of like what the like what the early criticism was kind of about was about like. It just ends and it, it just is is in the middle of a story. And like, that's just kind of like what it is. Um, yeah. I feel like I can't remember. I can't remember what like Twilight or uh, like the Hunger Games did. Like, I don't remember because I've tried not to think. I know about Lord them. of the Rings had a similar situation where that's like in the first say. movie. Yeah, like it, it implies that there's going to be more. But the thing is with the Lord of the Rings, it still did have like a like a three part act to the film and it did have its ending, like climactic ending. But it was still like, but you know, not just that though, with the Lord of the Rings, you've got Fellowship, which ends and then Fellowship is a book like that's a whole, one movie per book. I guess that's true. this is you're splitting Dune and you're splitting Dune in two. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the end of Dune. So, of course, it's not a satisfying ending because all of this is building towards an ending that'll be at the end of the second film, not yeah. Here. So it's a yeah. thing of how on earth do you end it? Like the like the Hobbit. I was just <laughs> right. gonna. Oh, I, I, here's the, I feel like I, here's the ending of the first Hobbit, and it's like okay. I feel like I can't remember because it's been like a long time since I've seen the Hobbit or I've seen any other sort of like you know third installment book that has been split into two movies. Like I feel like it's been such a long time since I've watched them that I can't remember like how those felt to be to end you know like in the middle of the Mm. story um but i imagine it's similar i imagine that like oh we just like got to this moment where like it's the end of like the the scene's gonna change like i guess it makes sense that like paul and jessica you know like they arrive and they sort of like connect with the freeman and like they have that duel and now they're kind of like a part of the Freeman community, like, you know, a life for a life. They were, they were kind of inducted into the, their society. Um, and so like, I guess like that makes sense for an ending. Cause like the next yeah. part I imagine mm-hmm. will be them learning the ropes, learning how to be a desert person or a drylands person or however you want to say it. I feel like there was a lot of interesting things that I saw. This is totally unrelated, but um, I saw a lot of interesting things on the, the Twitter.com about people talking about like dryland ecologies and like real life, like dryland ecologists talking about Dune and how they were really excited about like seeing deserts portrayed in like not a 
like horrific, horrifying way. I mean, like I guess to some extent, like you know, the Harkin, the Hark, Harkin, like like the Harkinens are already obviously like, yeah, the desert's fucking awful, and I'm a fascist. But um, <laughs> you you have like the freemen, and you sort of like get to see their their ways of living that are kind of with the desert, not against the desert. And like they were just like talking about how like that is definitely like how people. And civilizations that like have existed within drylands um, environments have been able to survive. And it's not just like a barren wasteland. It's actually quite diverse. And there's a lot of things happening. Worms. There's a lot of worms, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I also totally forgot, but like I also really liked Javier Bardem's character too. Just how like kind of I don't know, he's just like a weird. I and I just really like it's like he? every every he was the he, he was still one of the, going. Yeah, still going. Um, yeah, he's like the he's kind of like the leader of that one like of the community. Um, Paul and Jessica, uh, not the one that he, he fights. No, no, okay. no he doesn't. Um, he's the one that he spits on the ground fights. when he meets Duke Leto, and that's kind of played for laughs. Oh right, right. Yeah. But yeah, he's the one that goes in like just with, like all of his weapons and everything, and he's just like walking at them really fast. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I just like kind of like how weird he was i mean that's just javier Bardem in general but like i, I like him a lot so uh, anyways yeah um and what i was gonna kind of say back to the the ending portion um was yeah there was i can kind of see how people would be like upset with how it ended too um again back into like the the act one part you know because like a lot of this movie was like okay it's dune right and then you go in and it's like Dune part one so then people would be like what the hell like what does that mean and then like the movie ends and it's like what the fuck but like all of us i'm assuming we're like already ready for that so like yeah. it made sense and we're mm -hmm. overall satisfied but like what i what would be interesting is like first of all like i think is interesting how warner brothers kind of like set up this movie series right because it's like if this movie does good you will get an ending if it does not do good, yeah. you will not get weird it. way to structure so, the like, deal for sure of just like, yeah, you can make yeah. half of the story, but like you better fucking do a good job. Otherwise, you're done. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> think so, it's like, sort of the nature of like because of the scope of what they're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've mm -hmm. seen this thing sort of on smaller scales before. I, I remember someone in in my film class made a pretty good like like a little Western film and, you know, we screened it at, at a festival and a lot of people were like, Oh, I want to see more of that. And that's kind of what this felt like. It was like, yeah. it was done so well, but like, there's only, you know, you can't make a five hour movie. You, you can't right, do it's that. Not allowed. Um, and yeah, it's not, it's, it's not allowed. It's unreasonable to ask people to sit through that. And it's probably also unreasonable to ask for that to be financed. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's what I thought was really interesting about it because like you would think, in some cases where it's like you would have a traditional like three act movie, but like have, you know, the implied that continuation at the end of this film. But this film straight up just did not do that at all. And I thought that was kind of like ambitious, too. And I that's why I liked it. I, I was happy with how it ended, too. Like, obviously, it's unsatisfying and not an actual ending to the film. But I am very excited to see how this ends. Like, I am very excited to know that after especially from what i've seen so far of the success of this like 
we're more than likely going to get part yeah, two. Yeah, I was going to say. Actually, as a matter of fact, we are going it's, to get Yeah, part this two. opened. So, like, yeah, it, it was the number one, you know, it was the best movie in the world for the opening weekend or whatever. It grossed like 40 million, which is pretty fucking good. Um, generally, I've really just seen positive reviews. Like, I've seen a couple negative ones here and there. So, I have to yeah. imagine we're going to get another one. So, good yeah, job, absolutely. Danny. You did it. And one thing I wanted to bring up, one more thing, it was kind of funny. Um, I heard some people compare it, comparing it to, uh, at least the ending, um, Halloween Kills. <laughs> <laughs> Two completely not even comparable movies in a way. But um, so I watched Halloween Kills uh, last weekend. It was horrible, by the way. Don't see this film. It was really bad. <laughs> and um, it was interesting because the way it ended was not an actual ending it was just like here's gonna be more of it and then seeing dune how it like almost ended in that same like sense obviously in a miraculously different way like i i'm not comparing these two movies at all (laughs) but just more of like how it ended um it was very interesting because like you have halloween kills which is a shitty like slasher film or whatever that's gonna have like another film right after that to conclude it but then you have like dune who have like these similar endings and are going to conclude in a separate film. I just thought that was kind of funny and interesting comparison, but yeah, like, it's like counting your chickens before they hatch and just not yeah. sticking the landing like amazing Spider-Man two. How it's like, <laughs> right. oh, I look forward to a green <laughs> goblin Sinister and amazing Six. Spider-Man three. And then, you know, doesn't happen but, because oops. <laughs> what I will say is with the vision, with the absolute, like just, creativity and perfection that i saw from this film like i am absolutely on board part two and like go see this film if you haven't already this is incredible experience in theater and i will see it in imax eventually i don't know when but But it will i I would like to see an imax yeah Yeah. preferably in the next few weeks or so but when rebecca was talking about sort of other things that had like split part adaptations i was thinking about how like you don't typically see that four part, you know, the initial entry in a thing, you know, like they did yeah. split Fellowship of the Ring in two. They split Dune in two. And I, I, I wonder, and I, you know, with whenever something is like different and it is so wildly successful, you know, both critically and commercially, I think this film has done pretty well critically. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it like hovering around like 80s, mm-hmm. yeah. which makes sense based on what it was. You know, yeah. I can understand I like 20% of people were just like, what the fuck was that? Seven and a half on <laughs> Metacritic or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's been some other, some other, like I wrote about in the newsletter, a TV show I'm watching, Foundation, another sort of big sweeping sci-fi book series that was, you know, it's always been considered like too complex to adapt. Um, they're, you know, did some stuff to make that happen, did some stuff to make Dune happen. I wonder if we'll see any other sci-fi or fantasy series sort of get rushed into production to capitalize on the success of Dune and maybe see some crappy, like, like old, (laughs) like, wonderful sci-fi novels get ruined by bad adaptations (laughs) because everyone wants to see Is this going to be, like, the the post-Harry Potter era of Uh films where everything was just, like, trying to be the next? Okay. Yeah. Right. Everything gets a part one, part two now. (laughs) with with dune in mind though it's like i've been, i've been really waiting for like a new like sci-fi like weird sci-fi because like i think dune is very weird but in like the best way possible like I, i've been waiting for something like this for a very long time to captivate me and like 
it's nice being able to see that something like this can be successful because like dune like, its premise is so weird like it's 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 very weird sci-fi and like i think that's why it shined in the in this but yeah i i'm very excited to see more of it and, and speaking of weird sci-fi just as a little teaser for the newsletter i'm going to talk about a weird sci-fi book series i'm reading so if that's something that interests you, you better hit that goddamn subscribe button so you can read about it. Sorry, Will, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I just love how like y- unique Dune is. It's like, Okay, when you think of science fiction as a series, there's a whole bunch of these things that c- come into one's mind about like how space travel works, mm-hmm. how this works, how this should work. In this, all the war is done with these huge bombs and then like swords, swords <laughs> and like Sub subterfuge and like espionage and all these things and space travel. Oh, it requires spice. That's so different. And you never. I mean, we kind of vaguely see how this intergalactic travel works with that guild ship, where through the center you see a planet that's slightly warped, like it's through a lens, and you don't see it on the other side of the ship outside. Right. I don't know if anybody noticed that when you first see that ship. Yeah, the inside is some other place, and then it's just things go through it. It was just. I don't know. Just yeah, so different. the spacing guild is, I think, one of like my favorite aspects of Dune. Just like how fucking weird it is, and like how the spice works. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Real cool stuff. I'm just I'm excited to see more with that in the next the next part. Um, I have a question for you guys, real quick. Um, how would you guys feel like theoretically about this film if we never actually got a part two? Like, if it was just this and, like, it did really bad. I mean, I'd just like, be really disappointed. I'd be like, they didn't make part yeah. two. I'm fucking angry. Yeah, right. I would be like, why? Ah, uh, like, damn, I really liked part one, but that, ah. Uh, yeah, I'd because be I, disappointed. Because, like, like, that that theoretically could have happened. Like, obviously, it's probably not going to happen. But, like, because you have an ambitious, ambitious, pro- eh, I can't talk, ambitious project like this. And it let's say it doesn't do successful like you can you still like appreciate this film on its own with its unsatisfying conclusion because there's not really a conclusion or yeah like because like there's a lot of cool stuff in it but it's like there's no ending so it's like yeah i think i I was curious about that hearing that there. we can certainly we can certainly appreciate it like Mm -hmm. i think we we all do like we 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 all have a positive opinion of this film, and there currently isn't a second part. And it's yeah. going to be probably so think, yeah, years we, we certain, before we get that. The yeah, that, that's fair. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing yeah. I'm the most angry about is that like there wasn't already a release date and stuff. But I have <laughs> yeah. the context. Yeah. It's like I understand how movies are made. I understand why it was done this way. And like there, it, it is possible for you know a project to exist, and it's like it, it's. It's the first thing it's in, there's intended to be more of it. And then, so, you know, sometimes your favorite TV show gets canceled and it's like, well, that's all that's yeah. left. It doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. but make of that what you will. If you enjoyed it, I guess you enjoyed yeah. it and you can be mad. And I mean, it's gone. But. Hey, we shouldn't assume that everything is going to work out because it could be that all of the execs at Legendary and all the stars of this movie might get killed by nanobots when they go to a birthday party. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, we can't. We cannot rule that out. Oh, no. They might all be That's part of spectre. seeping in from 007. Yeah, <laughs> MI6 really <laughs> fucked up, and now everyone has nanobots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will say this was this was a great movie for me personally, as someone who just really likes world building. So I was just like, 
I felt like I was just high on the movie. Yeah. Every single thing, every single scene was just like, oh, here's a new cool world building detail. Yeah. And sometimes it was explained to you and sometimes it was like through a character and sometimes it was just visuals, but it was always just like, yes, I love, lear- I love to add this <laughs> I to love learning. pretend Wikipedia thing in my head. It's like all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I loved, oh, we, we spoke about it a bit earlier when the uh, Imperial delegation arrives mm-hmm. just to formalize the whole oh, Duke Lito, you're going to Arrakis, do you accept on all this? And then there's that quote about how much did it cost them to come here for this? Right. The attire they're wearing, it, it just evokes like you, Charles, I think earlier you mentioned, it's like a medieval world. It's just mm-hmm. this ornate, so decadent. It's this, there's so much pomp and circumstance to it. You, There's so much about this empire and this universe you kind of get from just this pompous delegation. Or on the Sardaukar world, that 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 strange like the throat singing that's going on the the odd like gestures of the person at the podium they're putting blood on everybody like you it's just you have so many questions but it just it's this brutal world and it's just so i just loved every part of it i was uh, just sitting i just like, remember Ooh. i have a question for the book readers what what was up with the the hand speaking yeah you fucking book readers uh I wouldn't even consider myself Dude. one right now because, like, I read the book so long ago yeah. that I just and you forgot, forgot how to read since then. Um, exactly. I mean, I think it's just like to show that uh, that like Lady Jessica has like made Paul this like very competent uh, figure because I, I think it's just it's just sign language. I don't think it's like anything special in the world necessarily, but it's just to show that okay. like. You know, they are smart people who are like prepared for the shit to hit the fan. Um, she also spoke it to her personal guard. Yeah. During the housekeeper scene. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I don't uh, think so was that just, you're saying that's just like a house Atreides thing. Like, I think, you no, know, like multiple languages or something. Yeah. I think so. I think it's just, a, like you have to learn ASL to be employed in yeah, house Atreides. Yeah. It's a language justice thing. My take was that it was kind of like a Lady Jessica thing. That, yeah, that's like, what I think it was. She, she was the only one who did it. Yeah, like it was the people who like she employs or like are close to her. Um, okay. Maybe it's like some Benny Jesuit. Mm-hmm. Is that? Oh, yeah. Maybe it's like some Benny Jesuit thing either. or like, I don't I don't know. But like, I guess I got the like the sense that it was it was more like her way of being spooky, sneaky spy lady yeah like extra um, prepared for bad situations where maybe you're fucking gagged or you need to be quiet yeah mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense a lot i, I once read a, a little sci-fi anthology where one of the stories was uh was this future galactic you know empire where where people had a a version of like speaking with their hands and it was meant for like very very formal communication and that's really all i could think of oh, during dune and it kind of confused me because i was like why, why are they being so formal here? <laughs> <laughs> like you know this guy your friend this is your son what are you doing so let's i guess talk a little bit about the politics of dune this is a topic that I mean, plenty of ink has been spilled about this. But Rebecca, you were talking about how like dryland ecology people were talking about how they're excited to see Dune, uh, and that's because Frank Herbert, I believe, was himself an ecologist, or at least at the time of him writing Dune, he was uh, doing like ecology research out on 
uh, coastal sand dunes in Oregon. And so part of what happens in Dune was inspired by the fact that he was kind of watching the uh, the the boundaries of this desert encroaching on a town and watching it sort of like swallow up grass and even trees and stuff. And so it was something that like ecology was something that he very much was interested in. And I think it uh, in the books, especially it shows that he he kind of knew what he was talking about. And yeah, he was in he was in Oregon and he looked at the sand dunes and he looks at someone and he's like, what are those called? <laughs> and they look at him and say, Dune. And that's when he had the <laughs> real yeah, He looks into the camera. <laughs> and he says, we're going to make a two part film adaptation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He looks at the camera and says, they got worms. Yeah, you got worms. <laughs> actually, there are also... After and then he looked at the ground, there's a worm. Yeah, there are actually <laughs> giant earthworms that do live in Oregon. So that's oh, a cool thing, too. And there are some in oh, Washington as well. Oh, my God. No. Yeah. How do you guys survive? No way. Yeah, not yeah. that big. I, you know. We don't. Yeah. They're, like, they're like three feet long, which is still an insanely huge earthworm. But like, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're is. not like 400 they're not like eating your spice harvesters exactly oh yeah rats. not yet not yeah. yet anyway yeah so then like uh the the desert uh ecology and even like the desert politics are very evocative of the real world right it's like oh there's this barren desert that outsiders see as basically worthless except for this one really precious resource that's like deep that comes from deep in the ground and is really uh critical to like fast and efficient travel and is also really dangerous to harvest and refine like are you getting it yet that it's fucking oil is like you know not and also you have to invade people's land yeah exactly right and it's like and Mm -hmm. i it's like never it's not subtle in the books either of just like yeah this is what we're fucking talking about we're talking about like arab oil reserves and so the the politics of dune i think for that reason are kind of interesting because in some ways it is this like tale of how like colonialism is bad actually and their like native sovereignty is important but that is of course complicated by the fact that like well paul atreides is an off-worlder who is in some sense is kind of like a white savior and also the whole myth about the the messiah of the fremen was implanted by the bene Gesserit because that's what they fucking do they go to worlds like centuries before whatever uh whatever their plan is and they like implant these like religious beliefs and superstitions and everything like that uh so that when so is that like is that like a something that is revealed later in the in the book or the books? Because I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty explicit in the books. And there is actually an exchange between Paul and Jessica. Uh, in the film? Yeah, it's when they're exiting okay. the, the spaceship and they get into the... Oh, I do, yeah, I do remember. Yeah, that. and Paul is like, uh, they're only believing what like they've been told to believe. Or they're seeing what they've been told right. to see. And that, that's what he's referencing. Okay, okay. And it's also like when we think about when we meet like the the super old lady, the witch, what's her name? The revered the, mother. The, the, the revered, revered mother, mother. And she's like talking about like, oh, like we're not thinking in years, we're thinking in like, you know, millennial, mm-hmm. like amounts of time, like thousands of years rather than just like a lifetime. Um, in in all the plotting and scheming that they've been doing. Um mm-hmm. 
And so I feel like that also kind of like puts that into perspective a little bit more too. Yeah, I understand way better now when you say, "What if the CIA were witches?" Oh, okay. first, yeah. I was, I was like, "What?" <laughs> okay. Yeah. I guess. Right. I, I an interesting thing, Cam, you brought up about um, Paul being an off-worlder and being kind of the the Messiah, or, or spoken of as one. And I think that yeah, that is that interesting idea about that white savior kind of notion that I think gets worked out pretty well in mm-hmm. the books. As they as they pr- proceed about like, I mean, there's lots of questions about that, but I think they get worked out pretty well in the books. But I'm interested in how the film will kind of handle it because I think so far for a part one, I mean, it's so early on. I think they've done pretty fine. I mean, I, I don't know how what more you can really change with part one, but I think so far they've handled it like really well because I'm curious to see how it's going to play out in part two. Yeah. Definitely, because I mean, there's so like, little. I'm, I'm very. There's so little interaction that. with the Fremen, really, in part one. It's just yeah. you know this woman who's like the imperial like judge of the transition or whatever she was called. Um, not really clear on that character. The other characters also seemed unclear on her position. So I guess that was the intention. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I did. There's the exchange between Stilgar and Leto. Like, well, I, there is, I, yeah, there's the exchange. Right. They only have one. Um, where Leto is trying to get the Fremen on his side to ally with them, but he still wants to mine the spice. He kind of has to. And St- I can't remember what it was, but Stilgar, I can't remember how the exchange goes exactly, but it's something along the lines of um, Leto's like, name your price and I, I will grant right. it. And still goes like you come off world and you take our spice like just leave us a like you're gonna grant yeah. this to us. Yeah. Like I just like that exchange, especially earlier you mentioned like oh Lido's trying to be the liberal colonizer. Like I Bob, I'm colonizing, but I'm doing it nicely. <laughs> We're gonna work like, with uh-huh. you while That's we great. steal all of your resources. It's like Lido, you already had a conversation about how you have to meet quotas. <laughs> right. Like come on. Yeah, I thought that was a really good exchange too because like I was thinking about that a lot. It's like. Obviously, the Harkonnen and um, House Atreides is like starkly different, but they're still essentially like doing the same thing. Like, only it's just like the fascist versus liberal <laughs> explanation in a way. And they both have a quota to meet. Exactly. So it's like, and it's like you have this like, like <laughs> these like indigenous people that are like, we just don't want you to be here in general. Like, just leave. Right. Like, we don't care if you're going to try to like pay us. Like, just get the fuck out <laughs> of here. What am I going to do with the money? Yeah. yeah. Was, like, so when 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 Duncan Idaho <laughs> sort of uh, sort of stops uh, Gurney, you know, what, after after the other guy spits on the ground, was that just him quick thinking, or was he serious? No, that's real. About that's, like, that, that's real. Oh, it's real. There was a real tradition. Yeah. 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 That was actually okay. Now you say that that was another point when someone laughed because like I, it, it was. Well, no, it's, it is. It is played yeah. for laughs. I just oh, I yeah, was yeah. I was not clear. Whether Duncan Idaho made that up and everyone went along no, with it, it's, or if he was telling the truth, is, yeah, it's real. It's because like, and okay. we'll probably get a but lot more. You of this. see it later on too. Yeah, we'll we'll get more of this in the second part when we're actually like in the the siege. I think um, because like that's in the book is really when you start understanding like how precious of a resource water is, and you get a little bit of that with like you know the still suits mm-hmm. and and this sort of stuff. But yeah, that that is a real and thing. And the right, palm right. trees too, palm about trees. like oh, the palm trees drink mm. like enough for five men or something like yeah. that. Yeah, right. I, I guess like, if you had, I think if you see the yeah. the the spit later, I guess that should have cleared it up for me. Yeah, 
because like you see those those guys around the like the purifier the filter thing yeah they're all spitting they're in spitting in it so they can like right right it was like honestly like it was kind of like doing it was kind of gross yeah why to be are honest. they just spitting in that but cup? like i like, i understood it like i just i think it's just like i think <laughs> i spitting didn't is like were they gross. just trying to add water to the thing yeah because they don't have like yeah. a flask okay. of water on them or anything yeah like uh, it explains like even in like the suit and to how it like you know it utilizes all of your bodily fluids that are excreted. Timothy so Chalamet it's pooped like, in his suit. He <laughs> drank his doo-doo water. Everything. Everything. Poo-poo, pee-pee. Zendaya peed in her suit. <laughs> Do you think it's like a really like beloved Fremen tradition to like pee on each other? Is that like maybe. a marriage ritual maybe? Because it's like so much of your body's water, you're like giving it to the it's other just person. It's like such a self-sacrifice. Exactly. It could be like a yeah. really loving that gesture to just like piss all over somebody. somebody. <laughs> Someone's getting pissed on. They start crying because they're, they're so, so happy. Happy. <laughs> oh, oh cool. That's not what I was Good expecting. To yeah, about. sorry. To, that was just a thought that like fucking just exploded it, out of my skull. So sorry about that. It's funny. So that's all. That's right. It's content. Any, but back to the the politics, I guess, and sort of the the general, I don't know, message of Dune is like, yeah, it, it, obviously the second movie, I think, will be a lot more uh, illustrative of like what they end up doing about the whole white savior mm. kind of mm. uh, concept. There's a lot of gender stuff with, with like the Bene Gesserit as well. Not so much in the movie. We'll see if that comes back and it very well could. Um and so that's kind of stuff I'm really interested to see in part two, because I think that could be v- very interesting, could also be really horribly mishandled and kind of like retroactively make the first movie feel a little more like icky. Um, and I think the the last thing, too, is like Paul's arc as kind of the archetypal hero, you know, the hero's journey kind of is just beginning now with like Stilgar and it happens to some extent as well with like Lady Jessica teaching him like the voice and that sort of stuff. But um, because I think the movie, I think to to really get the same sort of message as the book, they're going to have to tread really carefully with that and kind of how they depict Paul as this like as this messiah. Because I mean that that basically does happen in the books, but the books are very much like a, I think Frank Herbert described them as like a satire of the hero's journey and not, not a satire like the mm. onion or something, but a satire in the sense of like it's it's you're using this archetype, but you're illustrating, you know, with the events of the book that it's like actually kind of silly and like not good. And I think part of that is the fact that this is basically it was imperial meddling that made him the messiah not some like inherent destiny of his um but uh, yeah again that's just one of those things that i'm i'm really going to be interested to see in the following movie or potentially multiple movies do you think we're going to get other books like dune messiah and so on like the later dune books i doubt it they're really fucking weird I've like not even completed them because I was like, this is not what I like cared about when I started reading this. 
Um, I can I can definitely see a situation where after Denis is done with Dune, um, you know, the studio is like, but we want more Dune money, and they're like, we've got to make killer uh, Dune. Yeah, <laughs> there's more books. I don't want. That. I can see that being <laughs> such more a Dune mess. Bucks. I don't want that. I, I just want to. I just want a film to be done so, when so it's finished. Are, are we saying like the the uh, the books following Dune are just like not considered nearly up to the same level? I think generally that's the that's the idea. They're they're okay. just very different. Like Dune, the being you know the first book is like. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much of it is like the world building, the politics, the this, the that. And like, it's it's a sci-fi book in that sense. Whereas I think the later ones are a little bit more like character driven between Paul and Jessica. There's a lot more shit about like this prophecy and that kind of stuff. So it's, I don't know. They're very different. Like I said, I never actually finished any of them, but like overall, they're very weird. And there's like some pretty like, bizarre themes that i don't think would really translate well to movies hmm. i i think the best thing from the other books like if you're gonna read anything of dune just read the first book i, I think that's yeah, all you need right. really i think the others work out some really interesting ideas and some things that might be that, that are kind of left maybe unfinished in, in dune or maybe not unfinished but they kind of continues with those themes and, and develops onto them or, or certain ideas I think works really well, but then there's a lot of stuff in the later Dune books where it's just it's so in in on itself. I don't I don't know. I, I just think just read Dune if you want yeah. to read one. Yeah, I would say so. I wanted to hear everyone's favorite moment. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I guess I will. I'll just go back to to mine being the initial worm scene where it eats the harvester. Just like the tension of like watching the worm approach and like the the connector on the carry all failing, uh, Paul getting fucked up by spice and like kneeling on the ground. I also like the little touch of like Gurney was running to come rescue him and he was like, oh, I recognize your footsteps, old man, and his like drug addled state. I thought that was like a fun little callback to that moment they had in the beginning. But uh, yeah, that's that's the one for me. I've read people theorize. I that I don't know if there's any like weight to this, but that he's also talking to the worm. Oh, who is very old. That's kind of he is like he, I I don't know. I also I th- I think these are book people, and so I don't I don't know anything. Yeah, we know how we feel about, about them. <laughs> Bookworms, am I right? Oh, good one. Oh shit! How did no one think of that <laughs> oh, earlier? No. Nice. Yeah, that's right. I was waiting for that. Good one. Well, it was well (laughs) worth the wait. But I I guess uh, since Cam took my favorite scene, got your ass. Like, no, I think that's also my favorite scene. I just, I just really loved how like all of that chaos plays out over the radios, especially as you see like the failure, like the breakdown Mm. in the process, and then they all have to. And I like that like Leto is. Uh, this, you know, this, he's this guy who, who actually like cares about, seems to care about his people. And he's like, well, I'm going to go like save my workers. I'm not, a, I'm not an asshole. Right. <laughs> We're going to try to put them on the ships and get them out of here. I just, yeah. A really nice tense scene. I like that. That was the first action scene is definitely not what I was expecting. I thought, you know, it was going to be a more like battle heavy combat heavy movie, but no, we got a cool, like n- nonviolent, uh, worm escape scene. Yeah. So. Well, I, I will say that I really, really like the scene with uh, paralyzed um, 
Lido. Oh yeah. And then also Hark- uh, mm-hmm. Vladimir Harkonnen. Oh, Vladimir is his name. Um, I, I just had to look up the, the, the character name so the I Duke? make sense. Yeah, Duke Harkonnen, Vladimir Harkonnen, whatever. Um, yeah, I really like that scene too. Just how like, I don't know, fucked up it I was. I like how it resolved like, too of like his anti-gravity thing like pasted him onto the ceiling so he didn't get the full dose of the poison. Oh, also generally, yeah. just the visual effect of him like levitating above people was like really oh, fucking so cool. Creepy. And very unsettling yeah. as yeah. well. Every single time that I, dude have, just... I have to tell you something that I misinterpreted for a while, like from when I saw the trailer oh, and okay. a, like a, a bit through the movie until at some point I realized. But I thought he was just like really long. Being completely serious. I thought that was part of Dune. And I thought no, that, that would... well, I thought he was the emperor for a while until I got some facts cleared up. I, you know, and I, I had heard <laughs> that in Dune, there's like a weird God emperor. So I just thought that's the God emperor of Dune. And he's like really long. He's become. That would right. be scary though. That would be fucking imagine if he was actually like that long yeah, be for some reason. Like that'd be fucking terrifying. Well, and I guess they like established that they do like weird fucked up like body modification shit on the on on Getty Prime. Hmm. So Yeah, that's that's what I like. It's just how like fucked up the Harkonnen are and like yeah, it reminds it me of just the, like unsettling whatever they're on scene. Reminds me like the dark elves from 40k. If there are any other like turbo dorks listening who are like familiar with that. <laughs> uh, Will, what was your favorite scene? I think I really liked um, the Reverend Mother. Yeah, that's a good one. The too. test, like their arrival yeah. in the night in the storm. Yeah, waking Paul up and then having his hand in the box. That whole scene, I really liked that. I, I was just so. I, oh, and I loved getting a POV of the voice. Yeah, where we see we see Paul use it on his mother, and it kind of works a little. She doesn't fully give him the glass, but then we hear the Reverend Mother tell Paul to come here. We see from his perspective him move, and then a second later he's back where he was, meaning it almost got him to go. I thought that was so. It was just so. It was so amazing. It was really cool. Yeah. I really liked that. She scene did get him moment. to go, didn't she? She did when she says Neil or right. Neil. That's right. He's like, Neil. You, you talk to my mom in her own house. <laughs> the Reverend Mother's like, boy, get over here. Yeah. He you don't understand him. what I know. Yeah. Neil. And it's just, oh, I, I really like that scene. Yeah. Is, is the voice like, this, this isn't something I thought about until just now. So this isn't like a criticism or mm-hmm. anything. But like, is there an explanation of what the voice is? Yeah. Is it's it like a TV sort of- show where people sing an Adam Levine. Uh, <laughs> You're good. <laughs> No, it's just like so the Bene Gesserit, like all their magic is like like physiological, and so I think it's just like you know there's some pitch that you can get your voice to to be at that like fucks with people's brains and like forces them to obey you or whatever. It's not super fleshed out, but it's like yeah, all the Bene Gesserit stuff is like body, it's like control of your own body, and then through the voice of others as well. It's like the brown note. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly okay. like that. Uh, Rebecca, favorite scene. Let's hear it. Yeah, I think my favorite scene is also the torture scene with Paul and the Benny Gesserit Reverend Mother person. Um, but I also really like the duel at the end. Um, yeah. I thought that was really cool 
Um, especially when, you know, I guess like Paul doesn't want to kill him and he's like, are you going to yield? And then we hear like, no, you can't. Like, that's not how, that's not how this works. Yeah. Like, that's not a part of what's he going on here. And I just I it like really struck me like how brutal and important what they were doing must have been you know i, I feel like if, if if this is a, a practice that you have in your community right like what weight that might bring to um like how you conceptualize like life and and meaning and and acceptance i don't know i was just really like there was a lot of like i guess i don't know big philosophical thoughts that i was sort of like left reeling with after after watching that. Yeah. Um, well, we'll get more of that in part two when they're becoming part of Fremen society. So you cool. have more of that. I'm to look super to. excited about the Fremen world building. I'm yeah. super stoked. I remember that. I really love that in the book as well. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to see just especially given the way that the movie brought to life all like the space stuff and like the like weird space feudalism that everybody's has that like, yeah. Cause I remember thinking the Fremen stuff in the book was really neat. And so I'm excited to see how that kind of is depicted in the movie. So cool. Final thoughts, I guess I go see it in IMAX if you can, but see it in theaters. It's a fucking hoot and a half. Mm-hmm. Go see it in theaters and then go watch it on HBO Max to understand what's happening. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's actually, actually that's not bad advice. Like, let it just wash over you in the theater. Like, it's super atmospheric and weird, and just like experience it, and then think hard about it later. And you know, you can see it however you want. Yeah, and I I alluded to this earlier, but I I feel like a big question I've seen is like can i see dune and will i like dune if i haven't read the books and i can tell you i have not read the books and i thought that everything was pretty crystal clear like i said you do have to pay attention it's not a background movie so <laughs> you have you put in a little work but you know it's it, it was very well uh explained it was very i almost said adapted but i've never read the books so I, I assume it's very well adapted <laughs> yeah, it was and, and it did a very good job of, of telegraphing everything through you know visual language and other neat filmmaking tricks and it just you know it was it was great and i have never read the books so i i have that unbiased opinion i mm -hmm. thought it was fantastic yeah it feels very much like the books sort of enhance your experience to some degree where it's like there are little details that you see in there and you're like oh that's cool that's how they're doing you know this aspect of the story but it's yeah by no so means doing required it. yeah just check it out good stuff yeah uh go see it Go check it out. I was I really wanted to see it, and I saw it, and it was great. And I'm glad I can be here to, and I'm glad I can be here to chat about it because there's been so many movies, and I haven't gotten to talk about it with people. That's right. So. We're happy to have Will here as well. We're very happy. Miss you, buddy. Well, folks, that's going to do it for episode 43 of Motion Picture Pals. Thank you all so much for listening. Like I said earlier, check out motionpicturepals.com. We've got links to our social media and to our Substack, to which you should subscribe to read our newsletter. I know I'm saying it a lot, but it's a good newsletter. It's free. There's no reason not to check it out. 
and stay tuned for our next episode where we're re-recording The Matrix because we lost the file. Oopsies, <laughs> but we're going to do it again. And you know what? It'll be a little closer to the release of The Matrix Resurrections, so maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that we fucked it up, except scheduling the re-record has been difficult. But that's why we're recording so much right now. So, you know, you got this, and you kind of indirectly got the newsletter out of it. So maybe... Maybe be thankful for bad stuff. And I'm talking to myself when I say that. Okay. (laughs) So thanks again for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks for The Matrix. Goodbye. Just enjoy the movie. It's not Citizen Kane. Oh, by the way. I have the Matrix down on Tuesday. That doesn't mean we have to record the Matrix on Tuesday. Like, we can just do that two Sundays from now if you want. I would really appreciate to not. I, like, have so much going on right now. Yeah, and I, I just put that down off. when we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. No, it's yeah. just been there. So I'll just go ahead and move it. I'll just, I'll put it, uh, unless there's anything that anyone else wants to do two weeks from now. I don't know. We're just trying to find some time to re-record the Matrix. So no, I think we can do the, the normal. Yeah, that's fine. Great. Okay, it's there now. I'll be sure to. I don't know when it comes out. I'll be sure to let everyone know what I think of the of sorry Eternals. You're gonna watch it. Eternals. Yeah, I I will go see it. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if I'm gonna go to theaters for it, but. I mean, if that's the case, then I probably will never see it. But <laughs> at this point, I feel so insulted by the marketing that, like, I don't think <laughs> sure. I'm ever going to see I, it. I actually I also I feel honestly, insulted by the marketing. I thought, well, the same I thought those were like jokes on Twitter, like Drewy and stuff like that. Like, I, did, I, did, I, I, I thought that those were the posters, but I thought the names were fake. And then, no. Rebecca, I, I'm actually thing. impressed. The thing you said on Twitter, I literally woke up in a haze and I saw it. I, I was dying. Like, I was like, what? <laughs> I saw it and I like laughed right. so hard. And I was like, I gotta share this. This is too funny. My dealer, a drunk. <laughs> drunk. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Boy, they drew it now. Okay. I think I just like whatever I follow on Twitter is just like I have seen every every meme about a Marvel movie. So at this point I'm just like, I don't I'm not even like amused by jokes about Eternals. I'm like, you you this material has been done. Same with They Worm. At this point, I'm just like, stop. I'm done. It's it was it's not funny anymore. <laughs> no, it's I always going to be funny. I still think it's hilarious. Travis, didn't Wait, I when s- the worm first emerged, I like started laughing because I was like, "Ah, oh, they worm." <laughs> Travis, that did all I the send you like jokes too? Did I send you a meme a long time ago that was just like a? I, I think it was just like a story or something, and it was like gummy worms in the background. It just says "Who up playing with they worm," and yeah, that was the that's OG the classic. thing. Yeah, that's, it was like where it two started, yeah. years ago, and it just it got implemented into my vocabulary. Instead of saying the, I just say they now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what they hell is up, guys? For me, it's still just like, I just think about when the Discord room was, who up playing what they were, because then you could join and say, all right, who's up playing what they were? It's like, right. <laughs> no, we should put it back. Flows. Yeah, now it's the that's horse it. room. <laughs> Okay, it's not funny. a stable it's the horse room the horse room it's a barn yeah uh, cool all right are we ready to start a, yeah uh, i'm yeah. ready
Cool. Everybody got time dot is up. Yeah. Caleb, do you have the tab open? I do. I okay. <laughs> Travis for Gore. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, uh, I. Are we all ready to clap now? Mm -hmm. They clap now. Okay. We clap now. Let's clap at uh, 32 seconds. Nah, that's too soon. <laughs> <laughs> I was, was going to go clap, for it. Let's clap at 40. Let's clap at 40. Right. Oh, I fucked up. I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> Should we do it again? Yeah. yeah. Let's clap at 50. <laughs> All right. Good oh, no, job. I scared our cat. She had it coming. She's running into all the right. bathroom all slinky. Running. Gotta hide out in the shower. Yeah. That's the safe zone if you're a little cat. <laughs>